This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Far-right or populist leaders across the world have co-opted climate change and made it a part of their culture wars. They're pointing the finger at international institutions and green policies being promoted at global climate conferences like COP27 for exacerbating the ongoing energy crisis. That's alarmed green advocates who say populism poses a major threat to addressing global warming. So what exactly is the far-right's message, and who's buying into it? Today we chat with Politico's Matt Daly about all of that and more. It's Wednesday, November 9th. So Matt, how have far-right or populist parties co-opted climate change into their culture war, and which leaders exemplify that so far? Well, it's interesting because I think what we're seeing is this is just the latest sort of iteration of populism. It's found a new topic. It's found a topic that basically fits a template in countries around the world. Essentially, what you've got is you've got a global movement. The climate change movement is international. It relies on institutions at at the UN level in countries around the world, putting forth proposals that are impacting how people's daily lives are being run. For many people, this comes down to the fact that what they're seeing now at this moment in history is an energy crisis. That energy crisis has driven up prices at the pump in the United States. It's driven up heating prices in Europe. This pain is being felt everywhere. And in many of these countries, the easy target is just to say, the green policies of my leaders are causing this. We're seeing that in the United States. Europe, which has long been at the forefront of the climate movement, is seeing this now coming up with its own far-right parties grabbing onto this issue. And it's interesting because I think what used to happen was, particularly in the United States, which was sort of a laggard behind Europe in acceptance of climate science, is that... They just outright denied the science for as long as they possibly could. You don't really see that as being an issue anymore. There's no one saying climate change isn't happening. Those people that are are really on the fringe. But what you're seeing is this populist movement is not denying climate change. It's saying this problem is being exacerbated by this global elite, these institutions, international institutions that are forcing us to make these changes. And that's what they're fighting against. And they're fighting against essentially an international process here. And what's your sense of whether this movement and whether this kind of messaging is actually resonating with people? I think it's an easy target for them to grab onto. This fits right into a nationalist message. The idea that, look, my leaders here in Italy, my leaders in Sweden, in the United States, they're beholden to some policy makers outside the country that aren't really looking out for the little guy here. We're the ones that are being forced to make these changes. This is being shoved down our throats by these people who exist in a, in a different world than we do. They're largely from far more affluent backgrounds. They travel around the world. They go to fancy conferences around the world. They're saying that they've got the solutions to all our problems. We just need to change our behavior. That's an easy topic for a nationalist and populist politician to grab onto and say, wait a minute, why is this happening? I mean, look, in the United States, Donald Trump grabbed onto this and immediately said, climate change is a hoax. It's a fraud. It's perpetuated by China. It's designed to impoverish the United States. 
We have energy dominance in this country. This was the message. And why should we give in to what this cabal of global elites want us to do to impoverish us? And that message really resonates with a lot of people who are distrustful of these institutions. Right. And as you mentioned, it is a step short of climate denial. So what's your sense of just how worried international leaders in the climate space are about how this movement could potentially limit or hold back progress on climate change? Well, it can be very impactful. I think we've seen that already. I think you saw when uh, Donald Trump pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords. I think what we saw in Brazil with Bolsonaro, I mean, this is another prime example. When you've got a populist like Bolsonaro, who in many ways seemed to model himself on Trump's behavior. I mean, Brazil is a unique nation. This is a country that has the majority of the Amazon there. This is, you know, sometimes called the lungs of the planet, right? If you're deforesting, and chopping down the Amazon at record rates for farmland, that's going to have an impact. That's going to get people's attention. It's a unique place on the planet. It falls under the control of the Brazilian government. And Bolsonaro just simply was making the policy on that based on a populist movement that he was the head of. Now, he narrowly was defeated in the election last week, but it shows the risks of what you're seeing there. And populism and nationalism are cyclical. They come and they go. And it's definitely been on the rise in the last few years. So I think we're seeing that wave kind of crest now. Maybe it hasn't crested. Maybe it's still gaining momentum. But as we see these leaders get into power, they're beholden to their populist causes. That's what keeps them there by, by feeding the sentiment. And in order to keep that population behind them, they're going to take action that could really jeopardize climate actions at the international level and the national level. Also, we're still waiting on the full results of the midterm elections with control of both the House and Senate unknown as of recording time. Expectations of a red wave did not come to pass, but it's still too early to say whether Republicans will gain power of one or both chambers, which would give them the ability to shape energy policy over the next two years and conduct oversight over the Biden administration's climate agenda. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.